Welcome back to Travoltine Presents Easy Riders. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering Square Dance. With special guest, Matt Abalde. Grab your partner, Dosey Doe, swing them around and don't let go. Don't let go. Honky in Texas. The honky tonk in Texas. Honky tonk in Texas. All right, now that everyone's <laughs> close the app. Uh, my, <laughs> my rate as a guest has gone up now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my lord! It's now from zero dollars to two hundred dollars. <laughs> two hundred dollars, the Benmo's coming. Matt, I really know how we're, how much we're like setting the tone when I hear your voice because I know you're always like our first guest, and I just love how it's like how quickly it takes. You're always the first guest on the second episode. I realize. Yeah, it, cause, right. Because usually yeah. the first episode is a nothing thing for it, that actor, right? And then you get. I a, wanted to do Carrie. Right. Which was what started it. And then I was like, oh, it'd be funny if we just keep doing that. Yes. <clears throat> and I had seen Encino Man growing yeah. up, so I was like, Encino Man. And then I was like, I guess this. Was yeah. that Fraser's like second movie? Yes. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> if it wasn't his second, it was early enough that Matt was the first. And it is now like a perennial. Th- okay. Encino Man was his fourth. Okay. And then Carrie was Travolta's but he's second. background yeah. in like the first two movies. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So I, it is it is decreed now, third time the charm that Matt is perpetually the first guest. This is gonna go poorly at some point. At some point, we're gonna talk about the like worst thing ever, and that day is today. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me look at some hypotheticals. Like I'm gonna look at some. Uh, I feel like we're dancing around the subject here, guys. Uh, we're square dancing around <laughs> the subject. Um. I'm not going to listen to hypotheticals. They're not exciting. But yeah, Matt is back to welcome us into another series. Hi. Yes, it's me, Matt. I am Matt. I am. (laughs) Are Uh, you appalled? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I've been Um, wanting to make that joke for five years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm so loody, too. I'm here in person this time. Yes. It's crazy. I've seen you in the flesh. We've been doing this podcast. For so long, then Matt has moved states across the country and is now in person with us. During the during the time that this this happened, I when you told me I was still living here. Yes. When you told me about Travolting. Then I moved to LA. We did the first episode with me. Yes. Then Adam moved to LA. <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved back. <laughs> it's stupendous. It's we of course referring to Adam Campbell, former guest of the show, um, who always has exciting philosophical thoughts on the Go movies. listen to his trees bit on uh, yeah, phenomenon. Uh, phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in person, here to talk about um, a movie. Um, quickly, uh, welcome back to uh, you know Easy Riders. Um, of course, the only show in America covering every single film of Winona Riders filmography. Thank you for listening to our episode last week on Lucas. Is that actually true? We're so early in the podcast. I never. Checked. We are definitely the. F- we are definitely the only one airing right now. I have not seen any others. 
Okay. If we get some, this term- is the first podcast to watch all of John Travolta's uh, filmography, all of <laughs> Brendan Fraser <laughs> and, and, and now all of Winona Riders. I'm gonna go into the, my podcast app because I knew I knew when this we started the top- Travolting, the only thing I could find was there was a Travolta Cage podcast. I guess shout out to those guys. Yeah. Who are doing that? I don't know if they're, they surely aren't doing that anymore. It's been years since I checked. Uh, Fraser, we are definitely not the first ones. Well, we might be the first, but we're not the only ones. Not anymore, at least. Yeah. There was a podcast that started like months after we started Fraser. And we always kept like a few months lead on them because I don't think they're every week. I could be wrong on that. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> well, I hope they are. I'll get some notes, some tips. Get better, boys. <laughs> Look, no, they all, seem like all, nice guys. All yeah. that matters is that this is the number one rated podcast starring in Jeff Sweeney yes. and Stuart Elmore that yeah. happens in this living room <laughs> at this time of day. We've recorded so long that we have moved recording spaces. <laughs> yes, that's true. A pandemic happened and, a pandemic, and theoretically a pan- ended. <laughs> a pandemic happened. Well, that was before the podcast. I think. We started it during twenty twenty one, right? We started this. We started recording January twenty eighth of twenty twenty one, because we were both unemployed. Date. I love that it and means then, so much to you. And then, and then you the guys date. were both gainfully employed. And yeah, then, almost immediately after. <laughs> yeah, and then no longer employed. And then now no longer employed. And now yeah. employed by. I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> Not going into it. I don't want to go into that. No, 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 no. Just oh. uh, yeah, go yeah. go shop for your REIs. Like, like Stuart said, we do appear to be square dancing around the subject here, which is that we do have to talk about the movie Square Dance. So here's my fun, my first fun fact about Square Dance. Yes, about ninety percent of the crew. I checked. I went. I I like opened IMDb, looked at every single. Oh like, my god! Every single link for this movie is purple for me. On yes. IMDb, about ninety percent of the crew would go on to work for, uh, on RoboCop. Excellent. And then would never work in Hollywood <laughs> what? again. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> what? Wow. I'm, I'm going in. He's I'm going opening in. it up. Wait. So, like, why? I don't know. Was a RoboCop a hit? Yeah. I I think it was a lot of the people who were on this were old. Oh yeah. Like I know that PD died in like, nineteen ninety two. PD. The production designer on this oh, film died in 1992. Gotcha. Well, and I know the director of this died in like 04, I want to say. Yeah. And he was, I guess to step a little bit into context corner, the director of this movie had been working for a while, but always TV. And it's no accident that this is, while not technically listed as a TV movie, it's a TV movie. Like this is a TV movie. I know it's like, okay, there's some technicalities, but like this movie like screened at Sundance and then like was never heard from ever again. And then it was re like aired on NBC in 1988 with a title change. This is basically a glorified TV movie. It's if, shot like a TV movie. Matt, Matt, you're right. There's a shocking amount of crossover between RoboCop and Square Dance. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, also another fun fact. Yes. Uh, I'm going to waste my two fun facts real early. Um, I am two degrees of separation away from this movie. Really? Really? Because uh, uh, I forget who. There's there's someone on this film who worked on Last Action Hero. Um, Last Action Hero, one of their uh, set dressers was Gail Sonnenfeld. Mm. Oh. was one of my professors at Columbia College okay. and who I also worked with on a commercial. Okay. So there's two degrees of separation between me and... Square Dancing 1987. It, it is, in fact, perfect that you got saddled <laughs> yeah. um, with this movie. Oh, my God. Um, 
before we start talking, I'm just overcome by this RoboCop. I would say it comes all the way around, but it's a square. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Also, they, they don't square dance correctly in this movie. No, they don't. <laughs> in fact, they barely square dance in this movie. There's two scenes, and they're both not accurate square dances. Has any of you actually gone square dancing? I did a square dancing unit in like sixth grade PE. Okay, well, that's fucking great. Have you gone square no. dancing? No. Look at me. Have you think I've gone square dancing? Look at me. Do you think I've got square dancing? You know how to square dance very well. I've watched you square dance. Yeah, I've actually, I have a video on my phone of him square dancing. I, I've, well. I've been square dancing. And this is where it becomes a video podcast, and the video is inserted right here. Yeah. Folks, <laughs> folks on, go to the YouTube channel. By the time you're listening, I will have uploaded the video. <laughs> no, I would not do that. You can do that. I don't care. No, it, it's, well, less it you on, and, it it's less on... you and more the other people in the video. Oh. I, just, I don't think they'd want me uploading this video of them square dancing. Jeff, if you send it to that me, that is like not it. square dancing. Okay, is this not that? That is the Cotton Eye Joe dance. You fucking fiend. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's, Jesus. It's Regardless, the... if you do want to upload it, you can just send it to me, and I can blur everyone, <laughs> blur everyone out. Yeah, and but... we just have Stuart and like the and just a bunch of pixels around, and then we have like an arrow point, a red arrow pointing at Stuart. Yeah. People see my face for the first time. They've seen, your, they've seen your face before. They've probably seen my face before. Remember that person but, who drew that picture of us? That's right. Yeah. God, that was a while ago. Yeah. Shout out. Um, well, I, I know what the picture they yeah. drew. It shout was out my that Instagram fan who drew that uh, fan art of us. That was really cool. Uh, was we've really shouted cool. you out before, but time to shout you out again. <laughs> I think we're really doing it because we want another one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please, we'll commission. Actually, uh, we won't. We're both unemployed. <laughs> um, we'll you know, gladly if you do anything, yeah. let us know. But but that but that is the Cotton Eye Joe dance, respectfully. Okay. Uh, but I have gone actual square dancing before. I fully believe that you have. Yeah. I forget, Stuart, where are you from? Indiana. <laughs> okay, that makes Yeah, sense. it makes you, so much you sense. You did not forget where I was from, <laughs> Matt. I know you were just wanting to bring that out. Yes, I am from... Uh, 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 Trumpland, Indiana. Mike yes. Pence origin story. The fiftieth best date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I think we're, I think we're better than Florida. No, we Florida have, has Disney World. We have the Dunes. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Dunes and it gave me tremendous pain because you have to walk up a sheer sand pile. You just gotta hike a different trail. You went, you went to the Cal's Bog Trail. Yeah, because everyone's like, it's the best trail. It is the best trail. I'm sorry you're a They said moderate activity level, and I'm walking up like a 90-degree slope. It is moderate activity. All right. All right. So before we we, uh, dance our way into the square, um, we should uh, check back in, because as I mentioned in our last episode, I'm reading this Winona Ryder biography in sync with the movies. Yes. Um, and I wanted to check catch us up between Lucas and Square Dance in terms of her life at this point. Question. Yes. Are you reading up to the point of the movie you're about to cover and then you put a bookmark and stop? Yes. Okay. I mean, I read through like the movie's production. So there's going to be a moment where it's like you're like halfway through the uh, the biography. It's like, man, her life seems like she's really going to the up up And you flip one page like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, for, for this one, I literally I read through it to the point where it says her next when she met director Tim Burton, Burton right. and I was like, close. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. But um, so we're checking back in with her after Lucas, which she was um, a supporting very actor. supporting character. She had eight scenes in that movie, roughly. Yeah. Um, but she does get very positive notices out of it, like I said. The only subject of our podcast whose first movie she is not background. Yeah, not background and kind of gets her start off of that movie. 
Yeah. Because Travolta and Fraser did not get their start off of Child of Darkness or the uh, De- Devil's uh, Reign. Devil's Reign. We should watch. I want to watch the Devil's Reign again. I kind of want to watch the Devil's. The movie's so good. We're filming this on September 26th. It's almost October. I feel yeah. like it is the season. It is time to watch the Devil's Reign again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Good luck to you guys. <laughs> Matt, you should watch that movie. It's actually it's William Shatner in a small western town. Being like, no, it's the demons, and then like Travolta's dressed in hoods, and you're like dragging him into like a lava pit or something. What is it, Ernest Borgnine? Yeah, Ernest Borgnine is the cult leader. As the cult leader, right, and then, then like, how, what if we pause the recording right now, watch the watch, watch it, and then go talk about that? Right <laughs> now. <laughs> no, we got it. We got a square. I love. It was the best possible movie we could have started the podcast with because I remember like it wasn't thirty seconds into the recording, you were listing off the the credits, and then pause and said, technical consultant. High priest of the Church of Satan. <laughs> yeah, that's in the opening credits of the movie. It credits the High Priest of the Church of Satan. Um, Excellent. So you know you're talking, you're watching the good stuff, and it's where Travolta got the book Dianetics. Yes, it is. I mean, come on. But we're not talking about him. We're talking about. I Winona. know, I know, but it's just like it's just interesting yeah. comparing like origin stories. Yes. Um. So out of Lucas, yeah. um, we talked about how she got positive notices for that. Um, but she gets, you know, some reviews out of Lucas, um, which people are like, she steals everything that she's in, um, and naturally winning presents. Um, very interesting look. She was notoriously very like shocked to suddenly be in movies. Yeah. Um, and she kind of took a bit of a, you know, step back after Lucas came out and it wasn't until, um, she got a phone call from the director of this movie who saw the movie opening weekend. Lucas didn't make much money, but this is this guy is one of the people who went to go see one it. One of the folks. Daniel Petri. And he's like, that is the main character for this movie, Square Dance, that I'm working on. Yeah. Um, Square Dance, which is based on a novel by Alan Hines, uh, written in 1984, immediately, you know, shortly after the book's release, purchased for production by NBC um, through Island Pictures. Um, Daniel Petri sees Lucas, calls Winona, is like, I want you in my movie. Um, about a year goes by between the start of production on this and Lucas's release, um, roughly. Yeah. Uh, Lucas released March 1986. This oh, wait, I'm sorry. July 87. They filmed this the summer of 86. There's a year between the rele- filming and release of this. Yeah. what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. Um, because she, you know, she films Lucas in the summer of '85. Yeah, uh, releases early '86. '86, yeah. She films March. this summer of '86. Yeah, releases early summer '88. Summer '87. Yeah. Um, one movie a year. Yeah, she's very basically he- working, he- working yeah. one movie a year. Healthy for a kid. Yes, very healthy for a kid. She does not miss any school for either of these movies. They film during the summers. Yeah. Um, that is kind of interesting thought. I never thought about that before. Yeah, she's doing her summer job is to be an actress. Yes, that's kind of dope. It's cool. Yeah. Um. She, she was home. I think she was back in school at this time. She kind of, as we talked about, she was bullied and went home. Yeah, school for back a little in bit. school from being homeschooled by her yeah. parents. Um. But I think she starts going back to normal school around this time. Okay. Um. Just for the more social aspect of it. Yeah. Um. It's her first leading role. She is objectively the main character of this movie. Yeah. Um, Daniel Petri, director of this, um, like basically saw Lucas and said, like, this girl has a, you know, naturalness to her. A sen- like an interesting, you know, you're very compelled by her whole personality. Yeah. 
She just um, has a captivating yeah, look. Yeah, captivating look. And I feel very comfortable saying that from just seeing her in Lucas. Yes. For even as an okay, weird, not in a great movie yeah. as a Lucas was. And though this movie, we'll talk about the end, doesn't really have much of an impact in the larger sense. Yeah. It's major for Winona. Um, she kind of credits this movie with the rest of her career, both because it's a leading role, but also just that the um, the skills she develops in this movie. Because she's mostly working with two... I'm not going to talk about Rob Lowe yet. Um, but she's oh, most, you're not? She's mostly working with Jane Alexander and Jason Robards in this movie. Yeah. Um, playing her grandfather and mother. Um, who are two like veteran actors, been around for a while, love Jason Robards. Um, and she kind of, to this day, still calls them like her acting school. Like yeah. they were the te- they were the people who taught her how to act for film. Yeah. Um, she essentially credits Robards with being natural in front of the camera. Because I even talked about with Lucas, like she has a lot of like walks in and then doesn't know what to do with her body, even if like she's, you know, doing the lines well. Yeah. She's kind of stiff. She's very, you know, um, free in this movie. And she goes to Jason Robards with kind of teaching her how to, you know, just, you know, say the lines like a normal person would instead of feeling like she's acting on a stage, which is where her background was in. Yeah. Um, she goes to Jane Alexander with teaching her how to act or, or, you know, survive in between shots. Because she comes from theater where you're just always working. Yeah. She was very restless on Lucas and for the first half of this production, just kind of sitting around waiting. She's like, I'll sit there and think of um, how I want to do this scene and I just want to do it, but they have to light for another hour. And so she talks in depth in the book about this experience. Yes. Wow. About this, how important this was for her. And then Jane Alexander's like, yeah. here's like, here's the, the exercises and how you can work with your scene mates in between your setups. Yeah. Not um, to not to stroke off the actors here, but like it is definitely something worth mentioning about the differences in like their acting style that they have to adapt to over theater. Yes. Right. In theater you, it's just a pure adrenaline run all the way through mm-hmm. muscle memory. You just yeah. have you don't think your body just does it. But in this it's like it's a thirty second shot and then you're sitting on your ass for an hour. Yes. And then another thirty second shot and then sitting on your ass for an hour. And and she I said last week, but she's, you know, a believer in kind of, um, not, nat- not rehearsing. Yeah, yeah. Not rehearsing natural acting. Yeah. In- instinctive. That's the word. I was yeah. For. Instinctive acting where you don't really prepare what you're going to do in a rehearsal space. You kind of work it out in your head, the emotion of the scene. Yeah. And then see what your body does. Yeah. When you go into it yeah. with those emotions that you figured out. I bet she's probably very interesting to watch in like blocking rehearsals. Yes. To me, it means like she's probably just reading the lines, but she's and she'll walk the motions that the director mm-hmm. is saying, but not much anything else. Yeah. As opposed to we all probably have heard and met of those actors who like seems like in the blocking rehearsal, they they're locked. Like, in. They're, they're locked in right away and go 100. Yeah. She doesn't want to like waste the energy. Yeah. Robert uh, Pattinson's that way, too. I think yes. I've heard. from just press. I've heard about the lighthouse is Defoe's very rehearsal heavy and Pattinson's very, very instinctive, very instinctive. And, you know, there's there's no correct way to be an right. actor. There's an incorrect way to be an actor, and that's called Jared Leto. But there's no correct way to be an actor. Whatever gets <laughs> okay. you. Just a random Jared Leto dick. You, you got it. I mean, Jeff's not wrong. No, yeah. no, not at all. It's just I don't know where it came from. I'm thinking, like, Batman. Okay, so then the Joker. Okay, so Jared Leto. I'm just – well, I, we were talking about Method, and I was thinking of On Suicide Squad where he mailed a dead pig to Margot Robbie and yeah, that's put just, used condoms in her mailbox or something. Simply, that's not Method. That's being a dick. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's just like, simply ridiculous. <laughs> um, it is just insane. There's no correct way to be an actor. Whatever gets you to the performance is the right way for your acting style. Right. 
Um, and this is the movie that really crystallizes all of those things from Winona. It's also the one where she learns about the technical side of filmmaking. Mm. She's very compelled to learn about like how cameras work, how blocking works, how you know lens choices affect your performance, how all these things kind of go into it. She's very in between these long setups, spending time with like crew members and cameras and director and trying to learn how does a movie get made? Because mm-hmm. in the last one, I just kind of walked in and said my lines. In this one, I want to understand this process. Yeah. Um, and so I think the, I'm kind of, you know, no, this, is compelling. this is compelling because I, like I think it. we're going to be very negative on this movie is kind of the vibe I'm getting. Well, I mean, the movie's bad, but she's not bad. Right. Oh no. Yeah. But I, so I just wanted to start off with that, like talking about the yeah. good stuff. So that we're kind of free for the next hour to talk about the bad stuff. What, what's the name of the actors of the grandfather and the mom? Jason Robards and Jane Alexander. Jason Robards and Jane Alexander. Jason Robards, who's um, he is one of the triple crown of acting people. He's won an Academy Award, a Tony Award, and an Emmy. Yeah. Um, he is particularly great in um Howard and um uh, Melvin and Howard. Okay. Um, it's a Jonathan Demme movie that came out like 10 years. Plays Howard Hughes yeah. in only like the first 15 minutes of the movie, and he like won an Oscar for it. He's so good. He's also Ben Bradley in All the President's Men. Um, just a, a very, you know, esteemed actor who's been in a lot of stuff. I was just going to say, every scene with Winona and one of those two, I liked. Yes. Very good. Very that's, good chemistry. That's the good stuff. Yeah. The bad stuff. I did not mention the other the other, yes. the other thing, um, which this, we'll get to. It is this movie gets one nomination. It one does. It does nomination. get one Academy Award nomination. Oh, you know? Golden Globe. Oh, it's a Golden oh, Globe. Oh, yeah. yes. Um, and oh, we will talk about it when we get yes. to it. Um, oh, it is a shame yes. upon that institution, which is already shameful enough. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. But yeah, you're right. Yes. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, so the, the thing that's funny to me about this movie is this gets credited um, by some as like the first movie in Winona's like playing the outsider run of movies um, where she's like the lead who's kind of the, yeah, like, you know, Beetlejuice, she's kind right. of, she's the outsider. Heather's very much the outsider. And I think it's funny that that is, that is correct, but that the outsider in this movie is an outsider because she's like. A staunch religious, like right. kind it's, it's, person in a world of sin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's very funny. It also like it, it doesn't take center stage as much as in those other movies. Like, obviously, yeah. it is an aspect that's like really important. Mm-hmm. But like, if we're gonna talk about the plot, uh, it, it there kind of isn't one. Yeah, there. It's gonna be hard to track this the plot of the movie because it's just like we can say the three storylines and we can tell you how they end god there really are just three i'm not sure if i can tell you what happens in between um but matt you came armed i did come with six pages of notes (laughs) i did come armed with six pages of notes all uh, apologies oh good i I got a little far away from my microphone and Stuart had to fix it okay uh i i will say about Every like three or four notes is just a note about the editing being incredibly weird for this movie. Yeah. It's strange. What specifically caught you about that? Okay. So very early on in the movie, there is, it, this is like very much in my head. Um, Cause I did watch it earlier today just to like catch yes. back up. 
Um, I've watched this movie twice. Oh my god! <laughs> Why? Wow. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it is free on YouTube. Barring the copyright, Barring music, the that copyright that music that we're not allowed to hear. Uh, that the two times that happens, yeah. It's almost avant-garde when the movie cuts yeah. out. <laughs> You're just like, watching. Oh, this is this is almost better. <laughs> uh, so there, uh, right when. I guess we're gonna, I'm going to spoil a little bit of plot. I don't know if... I know the first few that we've done this, we just, like, told the movie. I don't know if that's still a thing that happens as we'll, much. We'll kind, we'll kind of use that as the skeleton, yeah. but talk about what you got to talk so about. So, early, early in the movie, we have... Uh, she Her mom shows up. And, yeah. first of all, the pacing in that scene is super awkward. It is. Like, they hint that she's the mom and then spend about six minutes not confirming she's the mom until <laughs> yes. she's, like... I'm your mother, and it's meant to like almost seem like the super dramatic reveal that it just. I I made the comparison while I was watching it. So I was watching this with a friend uh, the second time through. I made I made a comparison to Transformers: Age of Extinction. Oh. Let's let's go, oh, let's no. go, oh, because no. that movie does a similar thing mm-hmm. where uh, everything is said to you multiple times. In ways that just like aren't natural, yes. right? Like they very clearly are like, "This is the mother," and then they have to also tell you, "This is the mother." Yes. Uh, in Transformers, they do that multiple times where they're like, "They're shooting at us!" Cut, 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 cut. They're shooting at us! Cut, <laughs> cut, 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 cut. We're shooting at them. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it 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 felt like that. And then, um, Matt, are you are you questioning the writing of a movie that has the line? Where's your warrant? My, my face, face is, is my warrant. warrant. Yes, I am quite sure. Yes, that is, that is correct. Uh, I'm an inventor. But then, like, they're kind of playing out the scene, and then it does, like, the shortest cut to the mom's face, and then a cut to the mom driving away in a car, right? And... Both shots are just, like, not held long enough. Mm-hmm. And especially the car, it, like, starts to leave. It, like, does, like, a three-point turn. And in the middle of, like, the, the third point, it cuts mm-hmm. to a completely different scene. <laughs> we just don't see the car driver. <laughs> and, and the movie's just riddled with cuts like that, where it's, like, we start to see, like, a, what could be, like, a natural scene transition. But then it it cuts early. It cuts early into another scene, and it just feels so out of left field the entire yeah. time. I'm almost curious because this movie um, is it it is released in theaters, um, but eventually gets cut for TV. And sometimes, when watching this, I was occasionally curious, like, is this the TV cut? We're watching the TV cut here. It might it might have been. It's, I, it's I, certainly possible. Yeah. I, I felt like there were some like weird, awkward, like commercial break moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, because I definitely did notice exactly what you're talking about, where th- this movie doesn't allow itself time to breathe. Yeah, yeah, it's just the entire thing is so fast paced, especially at the beginning. Yes, Th- like you're giving so much exposition. They're setting up this whole like rural twilight town yeah. thing, and then they're just like. Oh, yeah, they're kind of racist. Um, <laughs> the grandpa maybe is racist, uh, but Just he's definitely lip. rude and mean. And then they're like, uh, but Winona Ryder's not. So she's like kind of an outsider there, but she's also super into religion. <laughs> yeah. Um, her mom is also here and she's from from Fort Worth. 
And in case you didn't catch that in that conversation, she says it four times <laughs> that she now lives in Fort Worth. She's like, this is my address in Fort Worth. Uh, you could send me a, a Christmas card to Fort Worth. That's where I live now in Fort Worth. <laughs> Here's a postcard of Fort Worth to show you the downtown. Um, Too much. It is just strange that this is a movie where nothing happens and yet remains incredibly fast-paced. Like, I truly don't know how they accomplish that. It is just like they gathered a collection of, like, 30 scenes and, like, all right, pump them in. Like, <laughs> I think we go from Labro's, Labro, um, is the thing I just said, Roblo's introduction to them, like, discussing marriage in a, under five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, absolutely. That it's, is the energy of this movie. And they don't give time for anyone, any relationships to develop at all, mm-hmm. especially, like, with Rob Lowe, which yeah. we'll, we should talk about. <laughs> uh, I'm dreading it. <laughs> or with like uh, the mom or the mom's husband? Mm-hmm. Question mark. Maybe they they share her last name, but like yeah. she's she's real loose. <laughs> she's real loose and is constantly like not fully with him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There, there were a lot of lines of dialogue that I was like, wait, what are they saying now? Like, what is this? Who's this person? How are they related? Um, but, like, there's so many, like, character relationships that just, like, we see them first meet, and now they have developed in the next scene. Yes. Right? Like, they, they are, like, she, do you know how long she's in Fort Worth? No. About I have two no months. <laughs> what? She's in Fort Worth for about two months. <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, my God. Th- this movie has similar energy to esteemed motion picture Gotti that we talked about in the show. You still knew I was about to say it. Um, in which, this like it feels like they didn't have the funding to shoot any of the exciting stuff. So they just shoot all the scenes in between the exciting stuff. Yeah, and then we're like, we're gonna go whack this guy, and then they walk, and the next scene, them walk in the room, like he's dead. <laughs> Wait, what? What happened? We don't get to see the whacking. I think Angela died of a broken heart. <laughs> I think the like peak of action. There's just like two peaks of action in this movie, yes. right? One's at the end, which we could talk about later. But like early on, uh, <laughs> I forget his name. Oh my Beecham. god, Beecham! Oh my god. <laughs> Beecham dies. <laughs> right? Like, we're led to assume he dies. Yes. Uh, but how is, does he die is the question. So Beecham is, like, a, a guy from, from Twilight who, he's a black guy. Um, from Twilight? Who, right. That's Edward the, Cullen? That's the name of the town. Yes. <laughs> I'm uh, making a bad Edward Cullen joke. He, you know, plays the harmonica and is friends with, with Gemma, Winona Ryder's character. He also sings in the choir. Yeah. Yeah, at the church that um, she goes to. And uh, they're like buddy-buddy, but uh, but Grandpa doesn't <laughs> like him. Yes. For reasons. For reasons. Even though they used to be best friends. And they used to play the harmonica together. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Valuable stuff. Then... Uh, they're like doing some sort of like church retreat, like picnic thing. And like Beecham is just like at the bottom of like a little cliff. And all of a sudden, just like a landfill just falls on him. Because <laughs> that's kind of what they made it like. They made it sound like, like I thought he was like picking for trash and then a dump truck spilled more trash <laughs> on him. Like I was very confused. As Look, to, like, I mean, they say that like, Someone open like basically opened the bed of their truck and like threw trash onto him. But like, and then a bunch of the 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 people who are there start looking for him, 
they're there for like an hour and a half looking for him. Right. It, and then they stop. And then they stop. But like, shouldn't that means that like that he must be under the entire pile of trash. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Bob. They don't find him when a writer finds his hat. And then it's like, oh, he dead. Right. And then like, like his family appears on like the cliff. And they're like, you need to stop searching, girl, because, like, he doesn't matter. Or, like, you, you shouldn't care. Like, because this like, is the best burial because he ain't being buried in a white man's cemetery. Right. Something like that. Um, it's the strange plot development. Um, because the clear implications were known as disgusted that they give up on this guy. And, like, the racism in the town so she goes to the big city. But they, they search for him for an hour and a half. Yeah. And so it, it's like a very odd way to set it up to like all these people are all these white people are searching for him for 90 minutes and that's the cutoff. Right. And that's the problem with the, like in like, yes, I understand like that is like still if, racism. If they search for two hours, it'd be fine. Yeah. Like, it'd be if, fine. Yeah, it feels like the movie's setting up. They that, would they would search for two hours for a white person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now these are for three hours. That's excessive. Come yeah. on, guys. The movie's politics at this point are essentially like um you know, we want to emphasize that this is a bad town, but not that bad. They look for 90 minutes. Right. <laughs> like, okay, what are we even saying here? What are we doing? And it, it's a plot point that doesn't get developed on later. At the end, Beecham's just back. Yeah, he, he just is back. Do they have a line that explains Yeah, Homer, it? The, the grandpa, went back and looked for him and found him. <laughs> what? <laughs> he was alive the he, whole time? He was alive in the pile of trash. How is he fucking walking? <laughs> and audiences, when we well, tell you... That was two months ago, remember? Oh, my... <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> when we say pile of trash, we do not mean, like, a pile of banana peels. No, it's like, <laughs> like TVs and <laughs> fridges, cars and metal, and it's like giant scraps of metal. And this guy's just like, "Yep, I'm all right, <laughs> I'm good." Um, this movie, but yeah, like they, oh sorry, go. Ahead. I was say like you know for context of the audience, like we both, we all three of us watched it for free on YouTube. I'm assuming, and like, I, did you guys watch it on like 360p essentially? No, I watched it on 1080p, which still looked like 360p, yeah. right? Yeah, this movie looks like it was shot on like a potato, which it pro- because it probably was. Um, the lighting is a thing. Uh, the sound is weird <laughs> because there are a lot. You were mentioning this, Matt, about the editing, and I was also thinking like there are a couple scenes when they get in a car and they start driving, but then you can clearly hear it like transition to like ADR, ADR, yeah, or something. And it, and, but it, then it's like it's weird because the I w- I was always say like. When Nona and her in the in the movie her grandfather they have a good banter with each other, and they have good performances. When it cuts to the ADR stuff, it's very clear that it's like they were either like not in the room together or this was like after. Production. Oh yeah, it's awful. It's just like really not good ADR mm. voiceover for them driving, and it also just sounds very odd. Um, One positive thing about about the sound now, right real quick that I'll mention: there was a lot of diegetic music. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly yeah. enough, in this movie, yeah, yeah, the, the what we could hear of it, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm gonna go back to the beginning and just set like the foundation of the movie. Um, we're already in the middle of the movie. Though. I just want to explain who Jason Roberts is because <laughs> yeah, we keep sure. talking about him. <laughs> um, Winona in this movie is playing um, Gemma. 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 She's playing Gemma. Gemma. Um, who is a 13 year old girl. Who lives in 
Twilight, Texas with her grandpa. She calls Pop, played by Jason Robarts. Twilight, Texas in the movie would have you believe it's close to Armorillo. Yes. It's Armor- by the panhandle. It, it's disrespectful. They have a town called Armorillo. They should call it an Armadillo, um, which I'm sure there is an Armadillo, but I digress. Um, but she lives in this town um, with her grandpa because her mom ran off when she was very young, left her with her grandpa, and her dad, she believes, died in the war, which is Vietnam. They eventually say is Vietnam. Yeah. And so while her grandpa's like kind of is like a hard guy, um, he has her help him around their farm where he grew up, um, has chickens and various other things. Yeah. Um, we don't really go too much besides the fact that he has chickens. That seems to be his main source of income. <laughs> it's the eggs. And she drives. Yes, and she drives around. And As a 13-year-old. 13, 13 and it seems that her hobbies are going to church. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> going to church and reading the Bible. Yes. Yeah. Which her grandpa's like, oh, forget about that. How many times does she does she say in the movie that uh, in regards to Beecham, it's like he's God's children too, Granddad. Oh, yeah. so much. <laughs> it, it's it's so uh, Jeff, you touched on this. Like, it's so weird to have the outsider be like super into religion. Yes. Right. Like, yeah. and also have every single adult in her life just be like, "Why do you care about religion?" Yes. For a n- movie in the eighties, is right. very strange. Because here, here's the um, the emotional political arc of this movie is it is about a young girl in a small town who's very religious um, who believes that her town is racist and turning away from God. So she goes to the big city where she discovers that everyone's a degenerate. And so she comes back to the small town and is like, well, I guess this is fine. I guess I could stomach a little racism. (laughs) Yeah. That's essentially this movie's arc. Yeah. Yeah, But... I, I wrote that all the character arcs are a circle. Yes. Like, they all just end up right back where they were. Yeah. The only difference is that uh, the the grandpa is slightly less racist. Yes. Well, Matt. Slightly You less. say the character arcs are a circle. I would say, what if, instead uh, of a circle, they were a square? Is not the title of this movie about the square dances we all make in life? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> why does the, someone should share why this movie's title is Square Dance? Oh, because Grandpa likes to square dance, and he shows Winona how to square dance in the beginning of the movie, and then she shows Rob Lowe how to square dance. And then he like cheats on her in the middle of the movie, <laughs> and then at the end, her and Grandpa square dance again. While Beecham is playing the harmonica. Yes. Outside. Yeah. <laughs> They're inside and he's outside where Let's make he one belongs. Thing fucking clear. <laughs> he becomes a little less racist, but not not racist. Right. <laughs> so basically this movie is kind of pointless. <laughs> it doesn't really no one achieves anything. But it sucks because like Okay, so so technically it does achieve one thing. Someone almost cuts their dick off. Yes. That is a thing that almost happens. (laughs) does attempt suicide by castration in this movie. Oh, my God. For fuck's sake. Yeah. I was going to say it sucks because, like, like Winona and, like, her grandfather and her mom, like, 
I thought they were doing a good job. There's a, there is a story there. Yeah, I the think, movie is not that interesting, and the performances are pretty. I think all of the performances minus one are really, really good. Yeah, they're yeah. all great. In the, uh, you got you got three great actors, and you let them do their. Whoever thing. wrote this should never be allowed in front of a keyboard ever again. Well, it is written oh, by the writer of the book, Alan Hines, who does not have a Wikipedia page, which can implies to me. You may have gotten your wish. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Alan Hines is the writer. I'm going to read you all the movies he's written. Tell me how many of these you've heard of. Square Dance, An American Place, In Sickness and In Health, Willing to Kill, Breaking the Surface, Too Close to Home, Crowned and Dangerous, When Husbands Cheat, The Familiar Stranger, Dangerous Child, Guilt by Association, The Interrogation of Michael Crow, Ambulance Girl, An Esteemed Career. I, I've, I've, I've seen heard, Ambulance Girl. I, I've heard of one of those movies, and it's because I had to watch it for this. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I have not seen Ambulance, Ambulance Girl. Ambulance Girl has Kathy Bates in it? Ambulance Girl looks good. We should watch Ambulance Girl. The story revolves around former food writer Jane Stern and how she conquered clinical depression after becoming a paramedic. Sounds good. Wow. I'd watch that. Wow. Directed by Kathy Bates. Oh, she directed it too. She directed it. Mm, sounds good. And it's is it, it's not her directorial debut though. Sir, so should we do Master Bates? Um, the films of Kathy Bates. I'm shutting off the. <laughs> um, I'm shutting this fucking thing off. Episode's already unhinged. Yeah. Okay, so, so, yeah, so gonna, she decides gonna, to move to Fort Worth. Yeah. Well, because Beecham gets crushed by a pile of trash. Yeah. And she's like, well, you're abandoning him after 90 minutes. Ah, no. And, and yeah, she gets real uppity with Homer, her grandpa. Yeah. Uh, they they have an argument. Um, we also skipped over an important scene that I think I, we need to touch on just because of how irresponsible it would be. She's 13, right? She's yes. driving all over the place. Yeah. Uh, they do an egg drop off. Yeah. Right. And it starts raining and getting dark. The headlights in the car don't work. So you know what their solution is? He's going to Homer rides on the hood of the car with a flashlight. <laughs> that does Just happen. Down home Texas living. That does happen. That does happen. And then uh he the whole time he's screaming for for her to take them home, but instead he takes uh she takes them to church. Yes, and makes him um does he go into the service? He does, yes. Very briefly. He just, like, walks in, looks around, and then leaves. Yeah. She's, like, trying to bring God to Grandpa. Um, and I have the note, he is too curmudgeon for, for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Can't bring God to Grandpa. Bring Grandpa to God. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a twist this movie would be. But she, her mom does come by and tell her, I'm in Fort Worth now multiple times. And I was like, you should come with me. And she says, no, I want to stay with Grandpa. And then Beecham's seeming death um, inspires her to want to go live with Grandpa. Go live with her mom. Or live with her mom, sorry. Yeah. Um, in Fort Worth. So, and she goes home and has a fight with Grandpa about it. Um, he's like, fine, you can go, but you're going to hate it. And I'm not going to be sorry. I will say, at about this point is when I first checked to see how much time was left in the movie. Yeah. Because I was like, surely we're in act two by now. <laughs> this was 20 minutes into the movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? It just, it, it sets up a lot of plot, right? Yeah. A lot of plot lines. And then it just leaves them dangling. 
and it just doesn't it, it leaves so much just like yeah. loose ends that it never like picks back picks up back with. up on. at the same time this plot point could have happened in the 10 minute mark <laughs> oh of course like, yeah so many nonsense things happening that i thought like like i i was expecting there to be like a whole like movie to go yeah instead of 20 minutes because she we, this is when we get the first audio cut out due to copyrighted music because what it was going to be and we got confirmation is she steps on the bus and you hear the do 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 the map do, 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 do. <laughs> This is a map. Map like of the, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, copyright. You can't yeah. use that. It, it's kind of the most interesting thing in this movie, and it's not a choice of the filmmakers. It's just watching her travel across Texas yeah. in dead silence. Because she rides a bus and then for some reason gets off the bus and has to hitchhike the rest of the way. Yeah. Um, and so she gets in with a truck driver. Right. But uh, real quick, I was, that like makes it seem like she didn't have enough money. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, she gives a bunch of money back to her grandpa. And she's <laughs> like, I only I only got uh, the money for the bus to Fort Worth. And it's like, well, you clearly didn't. Yeah, clearly not. Uh, so, yeah, she hitches a ride with a truck driver. Um, to a gas station. That's, yeah. that was, that's a missed opportunity scene right there. Because there's no dialogue with her and the truck driver. And I think if you're making a movie about an outsider trying to find a new space to live and grow and all that shit. You start with the truck driver yeah. scene. Well, like, to be fair, the, the the sound was cut out. At that point. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they might have said. They something. might have said something. I don't know. I didn't see any lips move. It sounded like right. That. But do, do you think that would have stopped them from ADRing something on there? there no. What if there was a whole ADR conversation over that scene that explains the themes of the movie? Oh my god! Like she's just in philosophical debate with the truck driver. <laughs> she's like, "Show how long are you working at Fort Worth? Ten years." <laughs> oh, where are you living? And he's like, worth you fucking know. He's like, God turned away from me, so I turned away from God. And the whole time you're not looking at them. Um, maybe that's what happened. But she gets to Fort Worth at a gas station and finds her mom. Right. And she's greeted by her mom's husband. <laughs> I want to point out. Frank. At, yeah. At this point, this was the first point where I realized that the movie takes place in 1987. Because mm. of the gas station? Because of the gas prices. Uh, oh, yeah. I literally thought that this was like a period, like up until this point, because they talked about segregation and stuff, yeah. right? And they, someone made the comment that like in like a certain city, like they can't share bathrooms still. Right. And I was like, okay, so this must take place in like the 70s or the 60s. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, it just, it actually does take place in, <laughs> in 1987. In 1987, because gas was 76 cents for regular. And that's how much gas was in, in, in 1987. Wow. See, this is why we needed to hear Matt. Right, yeah. This so I could, Matt was doing the research for this movie. Yeah. Discovering his degrees of separation. <laughs> right. That all these people worked on RoboCop. And you're reading a book, and I'm fucking here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working the mixer. You're, you're here, and we'll mention something about the movie, and you you seem surprised, which means you think that you weren't paying attention for this masterpiece of cinema. <laughs> How dare you fucking call me out like that, Matt? <laughs> How dare you call out my bit? This is a hard movie to pay attention to. Oh, my God. I was falling asleep. I, I paid active attention both times I watched mm -hmm. this movie. Good for you, Matt. <laughs> so proud of you for that. I analyzed the shit out of it. You truly did. Uh, but she links up with Frank, who brings her to the, the hairstyling. Do you have a window open? A wi no. That's just a loud siren. I just don't know if that window is open. No, nah, it's just a loud there. siren. I'm sorry, it's just a loud siren. Anyway, 
Sorry. Continue. Oh, but she, um, he, Frank brings her right to the, oh, he brings her inside to meet the mom before they go to the. Because they live in the apartment above the gas station. Yes, because Frank owns the gas station. Yes. Right. Um, they live up there and she meets her mom again. Um, who we should point out the first thing we see is she's like clamming around for her cigarettes, wearing nothing but like a robe and then a bra and underwear. Yeah. And like, here's, here's my biggest problem with this movie is that the movie's trying for me to make the judgment call that she's a bad mom. But let's just walk through what... Yeah, she seems fine. What what Like, the last 5% of her scenes, then, yeah, she becomes, like, a little bit of a bad mother when she's like, I should have never fucking taken care of you, all that shit. She has that one scene that's like, I, I'm, you know, you can't live here anymore. Right. But all the previous scenes is her being what I thought was being a good mom. Yeah, she, like, actually, she, like gives her daughter a free makeover at the salon she works at. She gives her she, she teaches like, her how to do manicure. Right. She and... she she changes her hair to like and like that seemingly helps her confidence. Yeah. She does she does just tell her that she doesn't need glasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, I can't see though. <laughs> it's like that's fine. And Gemma's like, I can't see but without she... my glasses. She's like, Yeah, it's fine. Just just don't wear them and your your eyes will refocus. But it's very clear like, you know, uh, Jane Alexander's character, the mom, she's not religious, and yet she takes uh, Gemma to, to to church, and she even like at the end when they're walking out, they're even singing a church hymn together, and it's very clear to me that's like she clearly doesn't believe in that stuff, but she's doing it because she knows Gemma believes in that right. stuff. So throughout the whole course of this whole relationship of the movie, the movie's trying to be like, look at her smoke her fucking cigarettes and walk around half naked and all that shit. I'm like. Bitch is like I think she's a good mom so far. Like you haven't lost me yet. Like I I thought she was. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, she's like, like it, she's... it's fine. Like there there. This this is one of my big issues with the film. Uh, at this point, is like part of it is supposed to be this like cycle back to um, the countryside yeah. because like oh I went to this super degenerate place. It's not really degenerate for most of it's it. It's not bad. Like. Yeah. It gets kind of iffy at like the end, and like there's some relationship stuff with characters that we're we're getting to. Yes, uh, desperately trying to not that yeah. that makes me uncomfortable. But uh, like, I I don't think that there's anything that like any reasonable person would say is like, oh, this is a reason to move back. Yeah, because like the the setup is that the mom was very young when she was pregnant. And she was not prepared for it, and she ran away from it. And now, de- like, truly wants to reconnect with her daughter. Right. And, like, she has no experience being a mom, so she's trying to figure it out. And does Maybe she doesn't do everything perfect, but, like, her storyline's kind of inspiring. It's like, this is great. She's, like, trying to reconnect with her kid. And, yeah, she's not perfect at it, but who is? And, and, and the know, movie's like, she's a terrible mom. She needs to go back to the country with the dad, and grandpa. And, and and what's also interesting is how they introduce uh, Deborah Richter's character, who plays Gwen. Yes. And it's no accident that you have Winona Ryder playing Gemma, yes. the hardcore Christian Bible-thumping, like, very country girl, and then altercate that with Gwen, who's a very free-spirited, city, young, kind of, like, goes out with, like, a bunch of different guys. And they're trying to make the comparison of, like, look at what look at what Gemma could have been, you know? Like, and it felt very, like, felt a little judgy in the sense. It felt really forced. And there was a scene where it's, like, they're sitting at their apartment and they hear commotion outside and 
uh, Gemma's mom goes out and it's Gwen being dropped off by one of her dates. And you think for a moment, it's like, oh, he's a fucking dick and he probably hit her or something. And then Gemma's mom like scares him away. And you think, oh, she's crying like something. But she, you know, she get herself in a bad position and then she's just laughing. And then they go to the apartment and they like, you know, gossip about everything that happened. And it's like. And the movie's trying to say, like, look at these dangerous lives these women are living, like compared to like what Gemma's living around. And I'm like, well, I mean, compared to the systematic racism that exists yeah. in Twilight, yeah. I'd, rather, I'd rather her be around that than a racist town and yeah. a racist grandfather. Personally, yeah, that's just me, though. Also, she goes to a Baptist church, by the way. Like, the, the, like right? It, and I was like, ah, oh, cool. So she's like super indoctrinated. <laughs> yeah, it's such a weird inverse like setup for this movie. Yeah, yeah. That everything that you're like kind of compelled by the movie is like this is bad. I think we got to get into yeah Rob because Lowe. fucking Rob Lowe I walks think... into the the hair yeah styles. so yeah so they're at the hair salon she's getting taught how to do a manicure and in comes Rory played by Rob Lowe yes uh, who is <laughs> uh, who is a mentally disabled person yes. playing yeah. a mentally disabled person and it is the like Hollywood like. I'm sorry, the way you phrased that sounded like a mental disabled person playing a mentally disabled person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> the dig on Rob Lowe. <laughs> Fuck. But it's it's the Hollywood like generally mentally yeah. like disabled disab- able ableist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like it's just just like the Hollywood like general just it's there. Yeah. And it, it like not anything specific trying not to be like super duper ableist, I feel like, but still. Well, and it's it's no accident. The first thing he does when he walks in the salon is he creeps on like some customers. Yeah, and like Gwen, who at least the the film's trying to say it's like Gwen's used to Rory, and it's like Rory, stop bothering my customers or yeah. whatever. And then that that's when he, he opens his mouth, and yeah. I'm I'm not gonna replicate the voice he does. So I describe this as like very Forrest Gump adjacent. Yes. Yes. Like in, even in terms of just like his tone of voice and stuff, it, it like if you were watching a scene from this, you would think that Rob Lowe is just doing an impersonation of Tom Hanks doing Forrest Gump. Yeah. I almost, it's more Rain Man-y, I feel like. It's yeah. like, um, it, because Matt, just what you were saying is like, he walks in and the movie's like, we want you to tell this guy's disabled. You know how we're going to tell you? He walks in like, Hunched over, mouth open, carrying a fiddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this guy disabled. Yeah. Like, clearly this guy is not one of us. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Um, And they, like, treat him like not a person. Yeah. They're the like, whole time. They treat him like a dog that wandered yes. in. And they're like, oh, just it's just Rory again. It's just Rory. Rory, here, here's your mom's hair. Don't stop anywhere on the way home. <laughs> Just take this straight home. Oh, my God. It's so... And it says a lot... Like, he gets nominated for a Golden Globe for this performance. And it says so much, like, that... You know, because, you know, they did the same with Hoffman and Rain Man. Like, Hollywood is like, this is great representation that we're having, like, these esteemed actors... Who are not mentally handicapped. ...represent this group. And it's like, it's offensive (laughs) what they're doing. Yeah, they're playing these people as he's there. He's not playing Rory as a person. He's playing Rory as like, as like as a bit as a mental handicap personified. Yeah, yeah. It's Travolta in fucking Moose 
Oh, uh, the fanatic. The he's, he's Trump. It is the there, same performance yeah, as the Trump fanatic. Did I say Trump? You did say there? Trump. Oh, well, hmm. um, uh, sorry. Travolta in the fanatic. Very much yes. so. Um, but Gemma and Rory start a relationship. They do. And it's really creepy on a lot of different levels. Because so Because she's 13. Thir- he's 21. He's 21. But the movie would have you believe because he has the mind of like a 10-year-old, it's fine. Right. So they like, like start playing house together. Yes. Oh, at, it always starts there. At Rory's like, what's it called? Trailer yeah. at home. Yeah. Where like Gemma just starts like cooking him things, and it just smash cuts to this. It yes. doesn't like. There's no setup. There's no setup. They oh, like yeah. briefly meet at the salon. Rory gets sent on his way, and then like it just cuts later to that scene. Yes, and it's just it just it doesn't set it up at all. And all of a sudden we're just watching them playing house. Yeah. Um. And this is less playing house and more just she is at his house working and making stuff. That's well, not I mean, they house. also like pretend to have kids. Yeah. And like he pretends to go to work and then like comes back and is like, yeah, I want to work. My hours change and stuff <laughs> like that. Right. Like, like they are like just like living this like weird fantasy. Man. And then um, at some point the line is just like dropped. We're like, they're just like doing they're just like getting real close yeah. to each other and then she's just like did you know Jesus is your lord and savior <laughs> <laughs> and he like kind of freaks out over that yeah um and it like starts to imply that like he had gotten like tried to get some sort of help and that like it did not yeah. go well <laughs> yeah he, he he tried to get help it didn't go well at the same time, we're getting intercut scenes with her mom uh, teaching Winona about, like, she's like, well, I know it hasn't happened to you yet, but you'll be a woman soon, and, you know, watch out for boys, because I had you when I was very young. And they have, like, this, like, semi-abortion discussion about, like, did you want to have me, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but then we never pick up that thread again. And no, it was not such a good, yeah. like, beginning of a scene. Yeah. With no middle and end, though. It's a good inkling of an idea. Yeah. Oh, that's like the whole movie. It's like <laughs> you start to have a good scene, and then it just cuts to a different scene. It cuts yeah. to Rob Lowe wandering around the house. My hours changed. Oh. It, it cuts to Rob Lowe saying, oops, I seen me a Mexican. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And then, and then there's a scene where he suggests that we should get married. And Winona's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then they kiss. And then they kiss. And then she does eventually, not like cave, but she's she is kind of like, I'm going to take care of you. And yeah. Also that, like the first playing house scene is so long. It, it is. Because that's when they go through like, they discuss cooking. And then he goes to work and he comes back and they eat the food. And like... Everything that could possibly happen in the scene occurs. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, I know there's probably lots of stuff in between that we're missing, but like my mind immediately goes to like the last conversation between her and her mom that makes her move back. Yeah. I know there's probably stuff I'm missing, but there's a lot of stuff you're missing. We got to talk about, uh, they go square dancing (laughs) at some point. Oh yeah. Um, and she square dances with Rory. Um, and then Rory is mad that she won't have sex with him. Is that the th- is that the plot development? Not 
I don't know. It, it's kind of <laughs> hard to grasp at certain points. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, oh, there, oh, there's, there, right. there's a si- yeah, there's yeah. a siren. Great. So this is a perfect point for me to look at my notes and remember where we are. Because, like, basically she comes back to her trail to Rory's trailer. And find and sees movement. Oh yeah, I forgot and about this. Just, oh no, this is she actually finds this at the hair salon. Yeah, she has so, a fight with her mom. Yeah, she yeah, had the, a huge fight with her mom. Then um, they end up. Mom goes to go like clubbing. Yeah. Um. So so okay. We are. I I do remember the plot elements that we're forgetting. We and yeah. they are actually important, so we should talk about them. Yes. Uh. So, h- husband of or boyfriend of mom oh yeah the oil gets duped into <laughs> buying land in texas for oil prospecting <laughs> i did not remember and, and uh, the mom's like we're gonna be rich yeah and they're so happy that they're gonna be rich and this is like around the point where like the relationship with rory is starting yeah that this happens yeah um I, I remember specifically a scene where where gwen right that's that's the yeah. friend yeah tells uh, uh, Gemma's mom that like the whole Rory thing is fucking weird. <laughs> yes. She's like oh they're just kids. It's like well he's 21. And then uh, she does say something along the lines of like at some point you're going to surpass him like mentally. Like like they do like she, like, she like the, has, the mom is very much like this is okay because you guys are in like the same a, a, a maturity level like, yeah what? like that's like it, it's fucked up um i did not pay attention to this movie. <laughs> I'm so then sorry. uh the mom gets in a fight yes with a husband because boyfriend there is no oil because there they, turns out there was no oil he just bought a bunch of land he just bought a bunch of land they're broke and <laughs> uh like when on a writer Gemma is like trying to sleep on the couch when when like they they break out into this fight and she just comes storming in with the bible <laughs> into the middle of the fight and is like reading bible passages <laughs> yeah, at, them at them to get them to stop fighting um and that's when she storms out to the, the salon right right she storms out to the salon where uh she discovers Rory and Gwen yes going at it going at it and show, I I thought she killed Gwen with the Bible. <laughs> she hits I, Gwen with I the Bible. So. Well, her head goes through the fucking drywall. Yeah, <laughs> like it's not that she just bumps her head and doing like that. No, it it goes through the drywall and she's stuck in that position. Yeah, she just stays there. And it 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 was so weird. Um, because at one point, actually, to, to to clarify, Gwen like sees them like kissing at one point in like the salon. Yeah, which is what in, I guess I, I would just like gets to her to like really do quick. That. Just watch the effect of her head hitting the drywall. <laughs> Folks, it's so clearly a dummy that they just yeah. right into the wall. Um. Yeah, I, th- I thought she she fucking killed her with the Bible. It almost seemed that way. It, well, it, and she thought she did, yeah. right? Because isn't the next scene she's by the ambulance and Rory gets carted in? Right, so... Why did he get carted in? So she goes back home. Her mom wakes her up and is like, you're in trouble. Oh, they found yeah. like They found your Bible here, and they found... 
like Rory's dick. No, they found <laughs> <laughs> they found shears like like hair shears. I'm sorry. Uh, like bloody hair shears, and she was like real confused about that, and she like puts two and two together. Rory literally tried to cut his own dick off. Yeah, <laughs> because he was like, I love Gemma, and I did this thing, so I need to like seek atonement. Right. And then she has this like meeting with Rory in the ambulance where she's like, it's okay. He's like, that's good. Yeah. They never see him again. (laughs) Then she leaves. And then like mom is like, you need to leave. (laughs) 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 She really is though. She's literally like, you need to leave. And she's like putting up a fight about leaving. Um, And then like, She's going to just, like, make her, like, she's like, okay, fine, I'm going to, like, go live wherever I want. But then, like, it doesn't really, like, it just kind of cuts to her being okay with leaving. Yeah. Like, we don't get to, we own, the only emotional arc we get of this character is because of Winona in spite of the movie. Right. Yeah. Like, you can, you can tell emotionally where she's at, but you don't understand why she's emotionally at these places. Um, because she like storms out and she's like, I'm going home. And she has this kind of nice farewell with Frank. Um, he's like, I guess I'm going to West Texas. Got a bunch of land out there. I got to sell this land (laughs) that I just bought. Um, by the way, we did, that is the end of the Rob Lowe plotline that we see him in the ambulance. We never see him. We never see him again. (laughs) We are told he might never be let out of prison. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like, yeah, like he's gonna like they insinuate they're gonna send him to like an asylum yes because of the hand shears thing or because because he tried to maim himself Uh oh well because i was wondering how old Gemma was in the entire movie she's 13 yeah Gemma or no sorry not Gemma. gwen gwen i have no idea gwen's probably older but not that much older like maybe like sixteen. Yeah, six, so like i i feel like she's between 16 and 18 like because i thought there was gonna be like that was a statutory rape thing. That was where my brain was heading. I was like, oh, shit. It looks like <laughs> Jeff is looking it up. How old is Gwen in the movie Square Dance? I am attempting to figure that out. Um, Deborah Richter. Okay, it, there's no information about her birth year or anything, so I cannot tell. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Um, but so... It, it it just the movie just kind of hits this this like the beginning felt really fast paced right yeah it just like kept cutting to different scenes without like resolving them and it just was like a really weirdly placed then like the middle kind of drags and then the end it's the same thing where like we just don't get actual resolutions to anything it's just like cuts to different scenes where things are happening because she shows up Beecham's alive Beecham's <laughs> alive. <laughs> And I didn't even clock how he was alive. I thought it was mistaken identity or some shit like that. Like, but I guess he was there. Um, yeah, that was fucking bonkers to me. Um, so she, the mom agrees to drive her. She like opens the window, is like, yeah. "I'm sorry," and comes down and is like, "I'll drive you home to Grandpa, my dad." Yeah. So they they drive back. And this is when I'm like, okay, I see where this movie is going to end. It's going to end with the family reconnecting. And the like whole that, family. The whole family reconnecting. Yeah. Um, and it does go for like the quote-unquote more realistic choice, which is, is in concept interesting. Um, 
because you know there aren't like necessarily clean you know family dynamics yeah. always right um where like they pull up and the grandpa sees the car and he like goes out to greek when he's or Gemma, and he's very you know surprised to see their mom there um, and kind of doesn't really know how to interact with her because it's been so long since they had spoken and I'm sure all of us have like have those people in our family where it's like they haven't spoken for a while and like these these are awkward reintroductions. Um, and the movie does nothing to capitalize on it because like he's like, "How are you?" and she's like, "Maybe I'll be around here more if Gemma comes back." And then she gets in the car and drives off. Yep, that's like the scene. Yeah, I'm like, "Oh, we're not." That's it. And it also Grandpa's hostile towards Gemma. Yeah, like he acts like he's like. <sighs> It just puts them right back at square one. Yeah. With the same relationship. And she only discovers that Grandpa has changed slightly when Beecham wanders in. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I thought you were dead. And he's like, nah, Homer got me out. He came back. And Homer was in this movie for about like 20 minutes total. Yeah. And had the most character development yes. out of everyone <laughs> in this movie. The implication that I that I like seems to be... That Beecham got crushed by a pile of trash. Winona and Grandpa drove off. Winona then ran away. Grandpa, after about 10 hours, came back to the site, <laughs> dug through, and found him. Because he does say, like, I put myself in a state where I survived for 15 hours. He does say that. Yeah. It's very strange. And she's like, oh, it's great. Grandpa does have a heart. Um... And then Beecham goes outside and starts playing his harmonica as Winona and Grandpa try and connect. Square dance again. Well, first she tried, she's like, do you mind if I read my Bible? And he's like, no, that's fine. You can do that. And then she closes the book and is like, let's square dance like we used to. And then they square dance. And that's the end of the movie. The movie ends. If any of that made sense to you, the listener at home, let us know because it did not make sense to us. Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. No, it's just, it's a movie where just stuff kind of happened. Yes. Like, kind of is the key word there. And, and there's like a bunch of like interesting plot points that it tries to set up that I actually like, if they like each one of those plot points could have been its own movie. Yeah. Right? Like, it, going from small town, religious town into big city and like dealing with big city things could have been an interesting movie. Um, the whole like racism thing could have made an interesting movie. Even like there, there's like even a movie that could have been written revolving around the relationship between Rory and, and Gemma. I don't think I wouldn't have been comfortable with that movie, but like a movie could have been written about that relationship. There could have been a movie about the dichotomy between Gemma and Gwen. Right, like which was like, never. There's there's so much there that just like ne- nothing actually gets developed. Um, like the only thing that fundamentally changes is is Homer's like slightly nicer, I guess. Yes. Um, F- Rory kind of has like no point. Yeah, it's just so that we can you know feel bad for him. Right, and it's like it, it doesn't cause Gemma to change as a person which is like where you would think that that story is going mm. that would cause Gemma to like grow up or like have to deal with something but like she just goes right back to where she was unchanged um, 
there's like no theme really yeah um it like it, it just felt like they were just afraid to commit to any one story yeah because the like and i'm not saying this is a good movie but the idea here is like a story about how you leave your hometown and discover that that you had what you wanted all along it's a story that's been told many times before a lot of movies i can't think of it off the top of my head but i've seen movies with that idea wizard of, like, of oz yeah it's a it's wizard a, of oz it's exactly. a perfect example yeah perfect thank you um where yeah that's a perfect example of this and this movie is like but what if we did that without really doing anything what if we didn't do that she just like comes home at the end and she's like well maybe i'll go back to the city at some point right they're like, like oh she's gonna be a fish out of water in the city but then she's not a fish out of water she very quickly adapts to being in the city um like it never commits to any one plot and the the, uh, the performances are pretty good yeah um, three it's anchored by three strong performances and one act of war crime <laughs> <laughs> um but like just everything revolving around them is just wrong that the, yes. the production i mean the production stuff is like fine it's whatever it's it's you know it it takes place at the time that yeah, it's it's like mostly location shooting, right? So it's like there, there's not much you're doing there. It's like there, there's nothing like super inspiring about it, but like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be. Um, there's the editing is like super weird, super yes. clumsily edited. Um, it's the, made Daniel Petrie directed this movie, like the ultimate journeyman, um, which might even be too kind. Um, he just like has directed a lot of movies that no one's ever heard of. A lot of episodes of TV and a lot of like um, tele- television films, yeah. like very prolific career. I'm sure he was very successful. I'm sure he had a happy life and he is proud of his work, and that's great for him. Um, but like, I'm not proud of his work though. Yeah, it, it's just like one of those things where it's like he just you know made movies to make movies. Um, and yeah, it's coincidental that he ended up kind of kickstarting Winona Ryder's career, right. like. It, it just feels like complete accident. Yes, that that happens to be the result of this movie. Um, but uh, overall, just kind of a, a of a movie. Yeah. No, the only like value of it is that it does you know give Winona a platform in a leading role and give her all these opportunities to learn about, um, um like the technical aspect of filmmaking and kind of discover her style in a safe space. Um, because she does discover her style in this movie, and that can't be understated. And I, I've been thinking a lot about going from this movie to Beetlejuice, and I'm, I can't, I've yet to been able to fathom what happened between this movie and Beetlejuice. Because from what I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Beetlejuice, yeah. but from what I remember, it's like night and day performance-wise. Well, quite literally, in that this, she is a character of the day, and then Beetlejuice, she is the character of the night. Right. I just like, I'm very interested to know, like. If if this movie really was a movie that taught her all the lessons, she would be able to become yeah. like who she is in Beetlejuice. I mean, like, great, that's fantastic. And from what you've said in the podcast, is very compelling. I just yeah haven't been able to fathom yeah. yet. It's it's kind of you know if you look at Lucas, this and Beetlejuice is like a triptych. Um, kind of like the the development is like Lucas is where she like just learns acting on a camera like that is just what that movie is the first time doing it say it on camera yeah this is the movie where she learns how to act in front of a camera Mm. and then beetlejuice is kind of the movie where she learns how to do my style of acting how to just play a character to the fullest extent yeah 
Um, and it's, you know, a lot of actors take much longer than three movies to figure that out. No shit. And I'm sure jumping from Daniel Petrie um, in this movie to Tim Burton is a very big shift. Uh, Burton is so stylized and specific in his, you know, directorial style. I mean, you could argue that this is stylized. You could definitely argue that. <laughs> um, could. Not sure that's a compelling argument, but you could definitely, you could make it. I mean, have you seen any other one of, of this guy's movies? Daniel Petrie? Yeah. No, I have not seen Cocoon the Return. What if they're all just like this and this is just his style? All right, Stuart, we're doing the Cocoon cast. <laughs> we're watching Cocoon and Cocoon the Return. We're talking about them. Who directed the first Cocoon? Ron Howard. No shit. Everyone loves Cocoon. America has Cocoon <laughs> fever. <laughs> no, Cocoon is good. Cocoon is good. Um... Stuart, I do want to quickly say Daniel Petrie had two sons. One of them was named Daniel Petrie Jr. Um, he directed In the Army Now, a movie that we've talked about on this show. Wow. Um, Talk about nepotism. Yeah. His other son, Donald, was mostly a TV director, and he directed an episode of Chicago PD um, several years ago. You don't say. Yeah. So we are... One degree, two degrees, of two degrees removed from this movie as well. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> We're all very connected to this movie inexplicably. Somehow, yeah. Wow, that's um, kind of that's kind of crazy. Yes. Um. So this movie comes out. Um. After being filmed, it opens at Sundance. Yeah. Which is the weird thing. Yeah. The, like, if this movie can get into Sundance, then like, why why haven't hasn't any other movie I've worked on gotten <laughs> into Sundance? And it's not only that this is in Sundance; it opens. It's like the opening night presentation is Square Dance. That's fucked. Winona's like <laughs> on stage giving like an address before this movie. Wow. Her um, second movie. Yes. Poor soul. <laughs> and I'm sure, like, um, hi, my name's Winona Ryder. In this movie, I hope you like it. And so, like, I'm sure that this movie, um, you know, opening Sundance, people probably had big hopes for it. Um, it comes out, basically, nobody really has any major thoughts in this movie. Like, Ebert says it's a weary morality play. It sinks under the weight of its good intentions. Um, people are like, it's kind of like a candy, just sweet, empty calories. But uh, that one little guy, Rob Lowe, I mean, that man has yeah, a he promising... Yeah, he gets a Golden Globe nomination that man for has Best a Supporting Actor. promising acting career. Fuck. And then financially, this is the biggest success we're ever going to talk about on this show. Um, it's filmed for a budget of $4 million, and it makes $225,000. Oh. <laughs> it makes one... Um, one... I'm doing the math. I'm doing the mental math here. One sixteenth of its budget back. Nice. <laughs> One sixteenth. Nice and but it, it loses three point seven five million. But Daniel Pendry went on to do a lot more. Yeah, because he, he was probably had probably filmed seven movies by the time this thing comes out. Yeah. Um, this thing is such a notorious stinker, um, box office wise, that it basically gets retrofitted into a TV movie a year later. Where it's retitled as "Home is where the heart is," um, and it kind of just it dies as a TV movie um, that probably airs on NBC once every seven months um, at one a.m. nowadays. Yeah, 
And that's kind of the, the end of the impact of this movie. The only real impact is the Winona kind of leapfrog that it gives. Yeah. Right. It's good shit. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Oh, um, I do want to quickly say that the one thing that the one other thing this movie does do is that because it screens at Sundance, a lot of casting agents see this movie. Oh, well. And that is what leads to Beetlejuice basically immediately after this. Yeah. And I just wanted to bring up that casting call because I'm going to talk more about it next week when we're yeah. delving into Beetlejuice. All right. Um, but I do think that is everything I have to say about the motion picture square dance. Matt, any final thoughts? Uh, I I was looking to see if I had final thoughts. I kind of don't. Uh, oh, uh, another crew uh, fun fact from from me. Yes. Uh, the stills photographer is uh, Zaid Rosenthal. Has probably the most successful career out of everyone on the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, is also the stills photographer on Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, on like most of the MCU films, on Jurassic Park, on uh, Terminator and T2, and on the Tim Burton Batman movies. No Crazy. Shit. Also, I'm as you said that I was looking at stills from like the still photography of this movie. It's more compelling than the movie itself. It really is. Like that's um, these are just on the IMDb photos, folks. Um, it's just like kind of compelling images of Winona with the other actors of this movie in character. It's good shit. Um, it's that, good shit. Like, look, like, doesn't that look like a much better movie than the one that we got? Yeah. Doesn't that pro? Isn't there promise in that image? Uh, what's the name? Uh, Zaid Rosenthal. Zaid Rosenthal. Good photos, Zaid. Good for good, good for you, Zaid. Good, good, good photos. Oh, here, here we go. Here's Rob. Um, Rob Lowe, who would go on to have a prolific career getting fired from the West Wing <laughs> and then voicing Simba and the Lion King Lion Guard on um, Disney XD. Hey, don't you forget, he was also in Parks and Recreation. He was in Parks and Recreation, and he was in two Austin Powers movies, one of which we talked about. And he's in a lot of stuff. He has a successful career. I'm not here to bemoan yeah. Rob Lowe's career. But he has this a whole is, store named after him. This is a active war crime he's committing every time he walks on screen in this movie. And um, he should not be allowed to, to uh, Whoever it. owns this movie, can you guys just send me the raw footage and I'll recut it? <laughs> Please do. Please. Daniel Petrie Jr., if you're out there. Send just, us yeah, the footage. Just, just give me the footage. I, I, I can make it better. <laughs> Daniel Petri himself is dead, but his son, if you if you have it, let us know. We'd love we'd love to work on it. But I do think that is um that's everything we gotta say about Square Dance. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Take us home, Jeff. Yeah, well thank you guys so much for listening to this episode on Square Dance. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure to tune in next week for, as promised, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Don't say it anymore. Um Say what? But you're playing with fire. Um, don't say it three times. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Um, as a reminder, we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Pop into a Reddit, r slash Travolting. Find us on Twitter or Instagram at TravoltingPod. TravoltingPodcast at gmail.com. If you've got anything you want to email us, find me on Twitter at Jeff W. Sweeney. Anything you guys want to plug? Uh, if anyone is looking for an editor, uh, <laughs> I, I am looking for work. Aren't we all? I have nothing to plug. Cool. Well, Do then. not follow me on Twitter, please. 
Then finally, um, special thanks to Rebecca Johnson for our graphic design and Michael Van Modigam Smith for our theme music and Matt Avalde for his um, visitation for today. Keeping the podcast alive. Keeping the podcast factual. Yeah. All right. All uh, right. See you next week for Beetlejuice. <gasps> what? Did you say it again? I said. That's the third time. No, it wasn't. That was the third time. No, you guys said it in sequence. You said Beetlejuice. Did I? Yeah. Whoa!